0: So if you'd now pull out your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 today, and we're going to look at the life of Elijah. Now, we've been in this series called Heroes, and we've been taking a look at biblical heroes and, and what we can learn from their lives and what we can draw from both their successes and from their failures. And so today we're going to take a look at one of my favorite biblical characters, Elijah. All right, and you've got to understand Elijah, I just think he's the coolest guy because his life is like a made-for-TV action series. All right, I mean, they should totally make a movie out of his life because you have action and intrigue and drama. You've got murder and betrayal. you got villains, all of this stuff. I mean, it is just amazing. And Elijah's life was just this whirlwind of God's activity. And he, he faced off against kings and false prophets. He called down fire from heaven. He brought people back to life. I mean, it was just amazing but in the midst of all that greatness he still remained humble I mean here was a guy who when God said Elijah I want you to go live out in the wilderness apart from everyone else he was humble enough to leave his his fame and his uh, his success behind him and just leave into the wilderness and and God just did amazing things in his life but probably one of the things that I love the most about Elijah is that he was human and because he was human, he fell. And he had difficulties. In fact, he dealt with anger. He dealt with discouragement. He even dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, I understand those last two. We don't like to talk about those in church. They're kind of the elephant in the room. They're kind of taboo. Oh, Justin, that's just a downer. We don't want to talk about that. But understand it. In this room, there are many who have dealt with that. There are many who have gone through depression, who have had suicidal thoughts. And, And understand that we see that in the scriptures. That there are many who went through the very same thing. And so today, I want us to take a look at Elijah's life. And I want to see what he went through. And how God responded to him. How God responds to us. So, Verse number 1, chapter 19. Let's just jump right into this episode of Elijah's life. This episode, just to kind of set it up, understand what has just gone down here. So Elijah has come out of the wilderness, he's come back onto the scene, and he has called out the prophets of Baal. Baal was the false god that Israel was worshiping at that time. And God says, Elijah, I want you to call him out. And so what Elijah did, he called him out. He said, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to go up to the top of this mountain where everyone can see, and we're going to set up two altars. And you're going to build your altar, and then I'm going to build mine. And you're going to call to Baal. You're going to call to your false god, and you're going to ask him to send down fire to consume the sacrifice. And then I'm going to call to my god and ask him to send down fire to consume the sacrifice. And whoever god does the better job, that guy wins. All right, that was pretty much what it came down to. And and here's the deal. The the prophets of Baal, they set up their altar, they built it up, and they put the sacrifice on top, they put the wood, and then they just, they started praying to Baal. And they started doing their thing, and they started chanting and and calling out to him. And and Elijah, it kind of cracks me up, because Elijah kind of taunts him. He's kind of like, hey, what's going on here? I don't see anything. Nothing's happening, guys. He's like, well, you know what? Maybe you should shout louder. Maybe your God is not paying attention. Or you know what? Guys, do we need to postpone this? Maybe your God's on vacation, and we should just wait till a better time for him. And then, and then Elijah really, really gets into him. He says, guys, guys, I think I know what the problem is. I think, I think your God, God's just, he's gone to the restroom. He's, he's indisposed right now. That's why he's not doing anything, all right?
1: And, and Elijah's
0: just like, all right. And, and these guys go nuts. They start cutting themselves. They start doing all this crazy stuff. And Elijah's just like, okay, whatever, guys. Settle down. My turn. And Elijah gets up, and, and evidently, this was a place where the Israelites had once worshipped God because it says he rebuilt an altar that was there. And he set the stones back up. And, and he put the wood on top of the stones, and they put the sacrifice on top. And then he does something just a little crazy. He says, I want you to dig a trench around this altar and then i want you to bring water and i want you to start dumping water on top of it i just want you to soak this and they just soaked the wood they soaked the sacrifice until that trench was just full of water pitcher after pitcher and then elijah stands before the people and he raises his hands up to heaven and he prays to god god show them your power show them your might show them that you are the one true god And the Bible tells us that fire came down from heaven and consumed everything. And when I say everything, it consumed not just the sacrifice in the wood. It consumed the very stones that it sat on. It it says the flames licked up all the water that was in the trench. It was gone. Nothing but dust left. Man. And if that wasn't enough, then uh, Elijah kills the 400 prophets of Baal for their false testimony. And, and, and it's just been this amazing thing. And then uh, understand that there had been a drought for many, many years. And Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, King Ahab, it's going to rain. So you better get in your chariot and you better start heading down. And so the king gets in his chariot and starts heading down. And, and God just says, Elijah, I want you to run after him. And Elijah takes off after the chariot. And the Bible says God gave him superhuman strength. I mean, Elijah was really a superhero, I'm telling you. And he outran the chariot, all right? He outran the chariot down the hill. So understand, King Ahab has just been disgraced. He has been called out and shot down by the prophet of God. And he gets back to the palace. And it says there in verse one, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel. Jezebel is the queen. And understand that this woman was evil. Man, she was vindictive and controlling and prideful, manipulative. She was full of hate. And the worst part is that Ahab was codependent upon her. He couldn't do anything without her because in spite of all his success, even as a king, he was, he was very you know, successful in politics. He was very successful economically. But he, he was dependent on Jezebel because he was incredibly insecure. And so he got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, when you think about everything Elijah has done in his life to this point, when you think about the amazing victory he just had, when you think about the fact he had raised people from the dead, it stands to reason that he's just going to laugh this off. He's going to be like, "Whatever, Jezebel. I'm not scared of you." You know, I bet there were people in the palace who were like, "Jezebel, are you sure you want to do this? Do you realize what Elijah just did? The guy just called down fire from heaven. I wouldn't be messing him with if I was you." But watch how Elijah responds verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He was afraid. Fear overtook him. He lost sight of all that had just happened, and he ran. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. God's prophet, this hero, finds himself buried under the weight of depression and he says it's not worth living anymore. And the truth is, many of us here in this room have been in that place in our lives. We've been in the place in our lives where things get difficult. Our marriage relationship is not what we want it to be, Is not what we dreamed it would be, Is not what we hoped it would be. And things are just getting tougher and tougher, and there's just there's no relief in sight. <laughs> our kids, man, we, we just want to raise them, but we feel like we're not doing a good enough job. And, and, and maybe we've got kids who've gone astray, and, and they're not living the life that we desired for them. And it breaks our hearts, and we feel guilt and shame inside. Work finances health. Nothing in life is going the way we had hoped it would go. Nothing in life is like we had planned it would be. And all of a sudden we sit here and we're overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of what is going on in our lives. If you're a student and you're in school and things just, man, they're so difficult and you work so hard and, and, and it's just, it, it's, it seems impossible to get ahead. And the people who are there, you know, at school or at work, they, they look down and they make fun of you and you feel like an outcast and you feel lost and alone. And so what do we do? Like Elijah, we run. We may not run into the desert, but let me tell you, we run to other things, we run to addictions. To drugs, to alcohol, to pornography. We run to, to hurtful relationships that we know are not positive relationships, but we just want to escape the emptiness for a while. We run to anger and blame. It can't be my fault, it's not my fault. There's someone else. This is someone else's fault. Man. We we run to cutting and self hurt. To eating disorders because we can't handle it. And we run, and we run, and we run, and when we can't run anymore, we stop and we lay down and say, God, I can't do it. God, take my life. Believe it or not, many great men and women of Scripture felt exactly what you feel. We forget about that, and we don't like to look at that. See, Moses and Jonah, both at different times in their lives, said, God, I've had enough. Just take my life, God. Take me to be with you in heaven. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I can't take it, God. Job and David went as far as to say, God, I wish I had never been born. It'd be better for everyone in my life. It'd be better for me if I had never been born, if I wasn't here, if I didn't exist king david that's the same david who slayed goliath who who led amazing military conquest who was the greatest king in the history of israel saying i wish i'd never been born listen to what paul said in 2 corinthians 1 8 this blows my mind he says we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of asia he says we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Paul says, me and my colleagues, we were, we were some, under such great pressure. We were going through such difficult times that man, we despaired of life. We were done. Saying, God, just take us. And let me just tell you that phrase, far beyond our ability to endure, So often in Christian circles, we've used the phrase, I've used the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can bear. It's just not true. Paul says we were under great pressure beyond our ability. But here's the truth behind that. The truth is that we serve a God who comes along beside us and takes that burden that we cannot bear and bears it for us. So we don't have to. Understand that, get that. So why did Elijah run? Why is this a great man of God who was just struck down by depression? Why do we run in our lives? Why wouldn't we have a God who loves us, a God who is beyond description, who has set us free? Why do we run? The first thing I want to do tonight is I want to give you five reasons from Elijah's life that he ran and, and that we run. In hopes that if you better understand why we do what we do, that we can, we can stop it. We can prevent it from happening. The first is, our tanks are on empty. You see, in your life, you have several different reservoirs, several different tanks. You have a spiritual tank, you have an emotional tank, you have a physical tank, you have a relational tank. And what happens is that those tanks are all interconnected, and when one begins to run low, it pulls from the others. And as it pulls from the others, all of a sudden, your tank just begins to get lower and lower, and before you know it, you're on empty. We've all seen it happen in our lives that one aspect gets out of balance. You know, let's say let's say physically our tank begins to get low and we're just exhausted and we're just worn out. Well, well then all of a sudden we don't have time to do our our daily devotionals and to spend time in God with God and in God's Word. And then uh, all of a sudden we we stop going to church because we just need some rest. And but but what that does is it pulls from our spiritual tank. So our physical tank's empty and it's pulling from our spiritual. And then when we're not connecting with God, man our relationships just start suffering because we're conflicted inside and we're torn and we're just grumpy and we don't want to be around people. And all of a sudden, man, things begin to get even more difficult because now the relational tank is getting drained. And then the emotional tank, all that wear and tear on you, all of a sudden you're in the midst of depression and you're like, I can't take this anymore because you're running on empty. And what most often happens is our life just shuts down. I'll never forget a time I was a junior in high school and I had, I had taken my girlfriend out on a date, and I dropped her off, and I'm headed home, and I'm cruising home, and all of a sudden, the car just goes and dies and kind of coasts to a stop, and I'm like, what is going on here? So I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, trying to get it to start. Nothing, nothing. And I'll be open and honest. I don't know nothing about cars. So I did what every teenager does who doesn't know anything about cars. I called my dad. And I'm like, Dad, I don't know what's going. The car just died. Da da da, da. And He's like, Have you tried doing this? This? I'm like, No, no, that's working. He's like, All right, I'll be right there. So he pulls up, pulls in behind, and and he goes, He says, Pop the hood. So I pop the hood, and so the hood comes up. He goes, All right, try to start it. And he's looking at who knows what and trying to figure out what's wrong with what and using words I've never heard before. And I'm trying to start it. And nothing's like, Man, what's going on here? So then, you know, he's starting to get frustrated. So he boots me out of the driver's seat and he gets behind, you know. And I'm thinking, Yes, Dad, I know how to turn the key. And he gets back there. And before he even turns the key, I'll never forget. He goes like, he pauses. He looks out. He's like, really, Justin? I'm like, what? And he just taps the dash. Sure enough, empty. I'd run out of gas. And my car had just stopped. And I remember, he took the, he took the, the lawnmower gas tank out of the back, handed it to me, and says, the gas station's that way. I got home a little late that night. <laughs> but understand, that that's what happens in our lives. We don't pay attention to the gauges. We don't pay attention to what's going on, and all of a sudden, we're running on empty, and our life shuts down. And it's really hard to get it restarted. <laughs> the first reason we run is our tanks aren't empty. The second reason we run is we lose sight of the truth. This is a truth that God has been hammering home to me over and over and over in my life. The idea that we so often forget in the midst of difficult circumstances that God alone is in control. Not the people who have put us in difficult circumstances, not those circumstances, not our feelings, not our emotions, but God alone is in control. And when we allow our feelings and emotions to take over, we lose perspective of the entire situation and all of a sudden we find ourselves shutting down and running because we can't deal with it anymore, because we're overwhelmed. Listen, here's the deal. When we lose sight of the truth, we focus on the problem instead of the power of God, and we focus on fear instead of faith. Understand that, get that. That is, that is such a truth that runs throughout scripture that when we lose sight of the truth, we begin to focus on the problem instead of the power of God, and we allow fear to take over instead of faith not only do we lose sight of the truth but number 3 we get caught by the waves of success <laughs> i'll never forget a couple couple years ago as a youth trip we took a road trip and it, it Let me tell you, it was the most amazing thing I've ever done with the youth, and it was the stupidest thing I've ever done with the youth, all at the same time. I mean, it was awesome, and I loved it, but I will never do it again, probably. I say that, and I should never say never. But anyway, so we ended up, uh, on one day of the trip, we were in San Diego, and it was our planned fun day, and we got to spend the day at the beach. So I was just sitting on the beach, and it was awesome. The water was way too cold to get into. It was just like freezing, so I'm like, I am not getting in there. So playing on the beach, everything's great. And then the teenagers, of course, are like, come on, Justin, you got to get in the water. Don't be a wimp. Come on. And being the strong leader, youth pastor that I am, I got in the water. (sighs) So I gave in to peer pressure. I'm like, all right, come on, let's get in the water. Don't, don't be a fuddy-duddy. So we're playing around, and one of them tosses me this boogie board, and I'm just, like, freezing. I can barely talk. My teeth are chattering. And they're like, hey, dude, you got to try this. And so I get the boogie board, and I paddle out in the water, and I wait for the wave and miss a couple, and then I finally get one. And got it just right and rode it in, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And so I get up, and and I stand up, and I'm like celebrating my victory, and I'm like, come on, this is awesome, look at this. And all the guys are like, yeah, you go. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, I am flat on my face with a mouthful of seawater and sand. And I'm like, what just happened? And of course, being a youth pastor, my first thought was that a teenager just took me out. But that was not the case. You see, I had forgotten that waves do not stop to celebrate. And the next wave had come in, and it was even bigger than the one I had rode, and boom, slammed me down. We forget sometimes that following our greatest success is the time when we are most vulnerable. Because we've just achieved something great, and we've worked hard at it, but we're tired, and we're worn, and then we take and we look at what's coming up, and we look at what we have ahead of us, and the next step, and the next level. and. overwhelmed and all of a sudden the wave comes in and we're flat on our face it it was interesting as i as i researched this sermon i discovered that 85 percent of deaths on mount everest occurred as the climbers began to descend begin to go down it wasn't going up it was going down it was after the success it was after the victory Man, it happens so often to us. We we get to the top of the mountain and we look around and we're just overwhelmed. And we get tired and we get caught in the waves of success. Number four, we get lost in self-pity. We get lost in self-pity. You see, when we're faced with difficulty, we often develop this victim mentality. I call it the nobody attitude. Because here's what happens. Here's your thought process. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. And eventually you come to the point where you're, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'd be better off dead. Just take my life, God. See, Elijah had this great victory, and he's standing at the top of the mountain. And he's like, man, I'm going to be a hero. And all of a sudden, he's an outlaw. And all of a sudden, there's death threats on his life instead of a parade for his victory. And all of a sudden, he is running for his life instead of celebrating. And he begins to fall into self-pity. Nobody understands. There's no one there for me. He says, I'm no better off than my fathers. My fathers who went before me, who were slaves, I'm no better off than them. I'm a failure. Just take my life, God. I'm so glad that the God we serve, the God who promises to answer every request when he hears that request god take my life i can't do this anymore that he cares enough and he is strong enough to say sorry no i have a plan for your life you see you are my masterpiece i created you for a purpose and i have chosen you and i have called you and let me tell you i will never leave you or forsake you because you are my son and my daughter don't get lost in your self-pity Number five, we separate ourselves from positive relationships. We separate ourselves from positive relationships. I think it's interesting in this passage it says, Elijah left his servant there at the edge of the wilderness. I'm sure he had tons of great excuses, tons of great reasons for why he separated himself. Uh, listen, I have to do this alone. This is something I have to do Listen, understand, it's for your own good. I'm protecting you. You just don't understand. Or maybe he was caught up in the trap of guilt and shame and said, I'm just not worthy to be here. I'm just not worthy to do this. You you don't want to be around me. And he pushed what he needed the most away. And we do that so often. We, We fall into that trap and we believe the lies of feelings and emotions and shame and guilt. And we push away the relationships that we need the most. We push away the encouragement and the accountability. Our fear causes us to withdraw. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we're left all by ourselves in the midst of our deepest, darkest moment. Man, have you ever noticed how discouraged people are lonely people? And lonely people are discouraged people? We need those positive relationships. But understand, once again, that man, God loves us so much that in our deepest, darkest moments, if we just call out to him, he comes. Without judgment, without condemnation, because he loves us unconditionally. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, in our darkest moment, he died for us. So I want to shift from, from the reasons that we run I want to look at God's response. How does God respond when we're flat on our faces, when we're tired, when we've given up, and we call out, God, I've had enough. Just take my life. I want to look at what God does. Verse five, then he, speaking of Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, "Get up and eat." He looked around, and there was beside his head some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, "Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you." So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Notice the first thing God does: God gives us rest. Listen, our society is constantly on the go. We are so goal-driven, we push so hard that we do not take the time to rest. And as a result, we are running on empty. And our life is borderline just about to shut down. God says, stop, rest. I think it's interesting though that it points out that the angel tells Elijah, all stand guard. You see, God and that angel understood Elijah's fear. They understood that he feared for his life, and that was the reason he was running. And they said, we'll protect you. God said, trust me. God said, just trust me to take care of this. God does the same thing for us. He says, trust me to take care of this. Just rest. Understand that our lack of rest is directly related to our lack of faith the reason we can't stop and rest is because we don't have enough faith, we don't trust God enough to take care of our life. And as a result, we keep trying to do it on our own and we keep pushing harder and harder and we wind up on empty. God says, listen, just rest in me, just wait upon me. Isaiah 40, 31, Isaiah writes, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow weary. All that for those who wait. Rest in the Lord. David, who we already looked at, had these feelings, endured these emotions. He says, be still, rest in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Man, David says, just rest in me. Trust me. Don't worry about those other people. I'm God, and I'll take care of you. The second thing God does is God listens. Verse 9. Then he came to a cave speaking of Elijah where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? There's no, no blame, no sermon, no accusations. No, Elijah, what were you thinking, man? Snap out of it. You shouldn't feel like this. Come on, Elijah, get back to work. Instead, God looks at Elijah and he says, what are you doing here? What is it you need? What are you going through right now in your life? Just, just talk to me, son. How can I help you? I have two young kids, and I've experienced more than once, where they just come up, and I hear them crying, and I hear them coming, and, and they're just torn up, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs, and the tears are flowing, and, and they can't even get enough air to talk. And what I do is I just pick them up, and I wrap them in my arms, and I hold them close. I'm like... Calm down. Tell daddy what's wrong. Tell daddy what's wrong. Tell me what you need. That's what God does to us. He doesn't judge us, He doesn't condemn us. He wraps us up and says, Tell me, tell me what's wrong. Tell me why you're here. What are you going through? And He listens. Uh, Elijah replies, and it's not the greatest reply. He says, I zealously serve the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, God. They've torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. He's caught up in all that self pity. He's forgotten about the truth. But God just graciously listens. Even in the midst of Isaiah's just anger and bitterness, God doesn't say, Elijah, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. And look at Elijah and say, I can't believe you. I can't believe you're doing this. How stupid can you be? Instead, God looks at him. And God says, listen to me, Elijah. Verse 11, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. Elijah's in this cave. He's in the midst of darkness. He's wallowing in his depression and his fear. And God says, get out of the darkness. Get out of the cave. And then, God displays these three mighty works of power for Elijah and then speaks to him in this still, small voice and asks again, what are you doing here? You see, God says... Elijah, get out of the cave. Get out of the darkness of depression and discouragement and self-pity. Leave it behind. Stop focusing on everything that's gone wrong. Stop thinking about everyone who's against you. And realize that the God who has walked with you all these years is still right beside you. That, That I am God and in all my power, I am still here for you. And when Elijah came out of that cave and when he saw the power of God and when he heard God speak, God says, why are you here, Elijah? You've seen my power and my glory. Are you ready to go as christians when we come to these points in our lives number one god wants to hear god wants to listen to us we can be open and honest with god but number two we gotta we gotta ask ourselves why am i here am, is this god's plan for my life is this where god has been leading me or have i taken my eyes off him and strayed from the path does this align with god's purpose and calling for my life am i running away third thing God does in the midst of our pity in the midst of our discouragement God reminds us who we are you see starting in verse 15 God says Elijah here's what I want you to do now I want you to go back the same way you came I want you to walk through that that which brought you such fear and I want you to do it knowing that I'm walking beside you. I want you to remember that you are my prophet and I have empowered you. And you are going to go and you are going to anoint new kings. And you are going to throw down old kings. And you are going to walk in power and in might and in confidence and boldness to accomplish what I have called you to accomplish. And you are even going to anoint, anoint a successor who is going to follow in your footsteps, who is going to carry out the legacy that you have started. God reminds Elijah of who he is, that he is God's prophet called for a purpose. Listen, in the midst of our pain and discouragement, God says, remember who you are. Remember that you are my children. Remember that I have a plan for your life. Remember that I will never leave you or forsake you. And God's going to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn around, and I want you to face your fears, and I want you to stand victorious knowing That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I want you to walk back through that fear. And I want you to follow me with everything that you are. Knowing that you are more than conquerors if you have me in your life. And I want you to embrace the greater purpose that I have called you for. And understand that you are chosen. That you are called. That you are my priest. A royal priesthood. A generation called out to do amazing things. God says, don't forget who you are, who I've called you to be. And don't forget that you're not alone, that I will walk through you. Number four, God provides a friend. When we push away relationships, when we push away that which we need most, God provides a friend. Verse 21, it says, then he arose and followed Elijah, that he is talking about Elisha. The, the man, the young man God had told Elijah to go anoint, the young man who would carry out Elijah's legacy. It says, then he, Elisha, arose and followed Elijah, this next key is phrased, this next f- phrase is key, and ministered to him. Elisha ministered to Elijah. God knew that Elijah needed someone in his life, someone to encourage him and Support him and hold him accountable. God does not intend for us to be cut off from society. He does not intend for us in our darkness to withdraw. He he does not intend for us to live alone. That's why Paul writes in Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need the encouragement, we need the friendship, we need the community and guess what? It happens right here in the local church. This is where relationships are developed. And that's why, that's why we provide small groups. That's why we provide youth ministry and student ministry for students to come and to come in those relationships and to deepen those relationships, to get that fellowship and that accountability and that encouragement. It's so important that we have those relationships So we've looked at the reasons we run. We've looked at the loving response of God in the midst of our darkness and how he doesn't judge us, but he speaks to us and he draws us out of our darkness and reminds us of our calling. And last, I want to talk about our return. How we embrace God's presence, our our response to everything that happens. And this... This is the one thing that we've got to remember in all areas of our life. When things get difficult, we have to learn to look up. We have to learn to look up. You see, Elijah took his eyes off God, and he fell hard. You see, he'd been used in powerful ways, but he'd forgotten that it was God who gave him the power. He had experienced amazing victory, but he had forgotten that it was God who gave him the strength to fight. And when we begin to fall into the traps and into the darkness of depression and anger and discouragement, we have to remember to look up. We have to remember that there is a God who loves us deeply, a God who will provide us with everything we need. on the first Sunday of, uh, our first weekend of every month, we observe communion. In fact, the men are are gonna go back now and they're gonna get the elements and begin passing out the elements. And, and, And I think it's so appropriate that we celebrate communion together today. Because communion is one of the ways that we as a church look up. That we look up to the cross. The cross where Jesus died to give us life. You see, it's, it's a chance to, to remember, as, as we sang earlier this morning, that, that we are free. That no, we, we no longer have to be slaves to our sin. We no longer have to be uh, imprisoned by our depression. But God is there to set us free as the men begin to pass them out I I just want you to know and understand that uh, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies to join us in communion all that we ask is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior that's what the Bible says that's the only requirement that's the only requirement to join in and and to be a part of this so as the elements are passed out I, I want us to take just a moment The Bible says that we should examine ourselves, that we should look deep inside and just set aside all that would hinder us from just embracing God in this moment. So as the music plays softly and as the elements are passed, I want you to look inside. And whatever it is in your life right now that may hold you back from looking to God, that may hold you back from connecting with Him in this moment, I just want you to give it to Him whether it's anger or bitterness, whether you're struggling with depression, uh, whether you have issues with unforgiveness, whatever it is, in this moment, just say, God, I give it to you. Just take a moment and just go to God.